0: That's one of the biggest barriers that keep so many women away from the game is because they don't have the confidence and they don't feel comfortable. Golf is a game of invitation. You get invited to play. And a lot of times women aren't invited because it's automatically assumed that you do not play. And the flip side of that is whether you're invited or not, most women self exclude because they will say, oh, no, I'm never going out there because they feel like they will be embarrassed if they get out on the course and don't know the rules, don't know the etiquette and do the wrong things. And that's what we do. We equip women with the tools for them to feel confident and comfortable on the course and not feel like they're out of place.
1: Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Shella Silla, who is a career strategist, business golf professional, and founder CEO of Sister Golf. Sister Golf specializes in showing professional women how to combine the game of golf with the art of business to gain a higher level of access to more opportunities and accelerate their career advancement. Shella, hey, thanks so much for joining me today and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast.
0: Hey, Colin, thank you so much for having me.
1: It is my pleasure. So uh, you and I, our our relationship, we were a a LinkedIn relationship, weren't we? We met there and talked back and forth, jumped on a Zoom video call a week or so ago, and I said, you got to be on the podcast. So I I begged you to be on because I love your story. So here we are. So with that, to kick things off here, Shella, could you tell us a bit about your personal and professional backstory and what led to the creation of Sister Golf?
0: Sure. So the reason the whole concept for Sister Golf ever came to fruition is because my background is actually in finance. I'm a finance major. That's what I majored in in college, went to the great University of Miami, and immediately afterwards started my career in banking. So after a short stint um, working as a credit analyst and doing loan underwriting, I quickly matriculated up the ladder and became a business banker and was responsible for bringing in loan relationships into the bank. And part of that responsibility was bringing in new loan production of half a million dollars every month to the bank, as well as deposits of 200000 Now, because I had colleagues and counterparts that had done this successfully and I had gone through the training program, I thought with my personality that it was going to be an easy task and quickly found out, quite to the contrary, that it was actually quite hard getting people to move their banking relationship, even if you had amazing and spectacular features and offers. And what I ended up doing was working super, super hard, doing all of the things that they tell you to do, which is, Attend networking events and build your centers of influence and get referral sources. And I would work my fingers to the bone and wear holes into the soles of my shoes, knocking on doors, really trying to bring in those new clients and was failing miserably at it. But found that my colleagues and counterparts were kind of knocking it out the park. They were making it look a lot easier than what I was doing. I found that particularly my male colleagues. They would be leaving on a regular basis at 3 p.m. to go play golf. And at the end of the month, when we had our sales meetings and they put everybody's numbers up on the board, I was at the bottom and they were consistently at the top, just knocking it out of the park, closing $750,000 a month, a million dollars a month. And I was wondering how they were doing it, particularly since I felt like I was working harder than they were. And it wasn't until one of my coworkers pulled me to the side and said, Shella, you should play golf with us. And I didn't see the connection at the time, but he sort of drove the point home by telling me, look, that's where the connections are made. You need to play golf with us. And while I had no interest in doing so at the time, I did want to be successful. I did want to succeed. So I begrudgingly decided to enroll in golf lessons. And once I did, two things happened. One, I actually discovered that I enjoyed it. And two, the relationship between myself and my colleagues actually improved. And long story short, I'll fast forward. The next time the bank sponsored a local charity golf tournament, I decided to go ahead and participate. And once I did that, I found that I was the only female and there were 100 guys. And what that did was immediately made me stand out. So when you stand out, of course, everybody wants to come over and hold a conversation with you and start talking. And that led to the creation of the relationships that turned into referral sources that in the span of a few months went from me barely able to make my numbers to being a member of the Million Dollar Club where I was closing over a million dollars in deals a month.
1: Wow. So- <laughs> I, I, I love that story. So, if for context here, Shella, what year was that about that you first picked up a golf club?
0: That was about 2000, 2001. Okay.
1: All right. So I'm very interested to hear then, as an entrepreneur, of where you are now. Let's kind of fill in the gaps here of the last 20 years. Hard to believe it's it's that long. You've been going at this and had success in scaling this up and refining it. Um, So, as an entrepreneur and being an entrepreneur myself, we're always looking for the gaps or opportunities or the pain points. And you just named some of those. But when did you decide to take that entrepreneurial leap to go from this is now allowed me to be part of that million dollar club and really help me crush it in my business? Perhaps I'll just stay with this. What was that catalyst for you or that turning point, that inflection point that you decided that you were then going to develop a business out of this, what became Sister
0: Golf? Great question, Colin, because I get that a lot and people seem to think that from one day to the next, you leave corporate America and you immediately become an overnight success as an entrepreneur. It really was a long progression. Actually, the idea or the impetus for Sister Golf came to me in 2002 But I really didn't pull the trigger and incorporate and go full steam ahead with the vision for Sister Golf until 2013. So... It took a long while and what actually made me do it was I was listening to one of these motivational speakers, the entrepreneurs that said, if you have a business idea, if you have a passion and years go by and it does not leave you, then it's something that you know that you have to pursue. And that's exactly what happened to me because it started way back in 2002. And due to circumstances, I was still working in corporate America. I haven't left the corporate America world yet at that point. I was still working full time and wasn't able to make the transition over. So, a number of things happened in between the time that the idea came to me and I saw that it was something that could be beneficial to women, to the point that I actually made the pivot and actually incorporated Sister Golf and went full ahead in full steam with my vision. One of the things that entrepreneurs need to understand is before you take the leap, there's a lot of steps that you need to take to prepare before doing it. Because there is going to be a period of time where you're building the business and there are no revenues coming in and you need something to sustain you so that you're not pressuring the business in order for it to succeed. Because what that leads is for you to do is end up taking shortcuts and doing things that Are detrimental to the business and do not move the business forward. So from the time that I had the idea, I stayed in corporate America up until about 2009. And then in 2009, right around the time that the real estate recession took place, the bank that I was working for at that time actually went into receivership and I got laid off. And one of my business clients who I had financed several commercial real estate deals for approached me and wanted me to become their business partner. So I actually did that first. So that was my first entree into entrepreneurship. However, what we ended up doing was not where my heart and my passion lied. So we did it for a few years before I finally made the pivot over to Sister Golf.
1: See, so it certainly was transitional. And you've just given some fantastic advice for entrepreneurs because on on the podcast, it really is about golf, but it is about entrepreneurship. So I've managed now to get lots of people that listen to it that are entrepreneurs, whether they're very advanced or seasoned entrepreneurs or they're just starting out or liking the idea, want to dip their toe in it. So – Giving advice like this or just nuggets of wisdom are so helpful. So I, I really do appreciate that of what you talked about there, that you need to transition that to make sure there's something there, as you've found there. want to call it product market fit or customer validation or having those years to build up your network and and test the idea to to refine it before you went all in and to see that it was actually a workable business model rather than just a, a cool idea or a hobby.
0: So adding to what you just said... Once I'm committed to it fully, I did exactly that. I had to test a market because there wasn't a model out there that I could follow because this was something very niche. No one was saying, "Okay, let's teach women how to use golf as a way to get business, even though I knew that it was something that had worked for me personally. It's like, how do you turn that into a business model? And how do you find out if people are even actually interested in it? So one of the first things that I did was I hosted a free workshop entitled How to Use Golf to Get Business for Women. And I just kind of put it out there to see if anyone would be interested. And sure enough, I had a full house. I had it sell out. Of course, it was free. So <laughs> that, yeah. that was part of it. But just to see that the interest was out there and it did exist. And that gave me the direction that I needed to take going forward.
1: Right there, just valid- validated your assumptions there.
0: Correct. So once I realized that the market did exist, now- became the part of the hard work of putting together, okay, now how do we put together a curriculum and how do we market this and how do we get this in front of the people that actually want it and need it? That's when the work began. And a big part of it for me is because what I was doing is so different Then, say, leaving a big accounting firm and then going to hang up my shingle and becoming a self-proprietor as an accountant, everybody knows what that product offering is. A large part of what I spent a lot of time doing was educating people. Well, what is Sister Golf and what is your product actually? And differentiating it between just a company that teaches women how to play golf, but really golf is a byproduct of what we're actually doing. We're equipping you with the tools to have more visibility, have more connection, and be able to close the deals through those relationships that are created. So golf was just a tool to get you there. So of course, if you don't know how to play, we do need to teach you how to play, but we're just not strictly come to us and we teach you how to play golf. Come to us and we teach you how to leverage it to help you catapult your career.
1: So you actually have several steps along that journey or that funnel to get them through from being not a golfer at all to then they're comfortable being on the golf course, etiquette, pace of play, rules, so they can fit in. Because we very well know that one of the biggest barriers for diversifying the game and inviting people that have not been felt welcome before is the fact that it is so incredibly intimidating. And as far as an experience for the first time, you're actually on a golf course.
0: Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. That's one of the biggest barriers that keeps so many women away from the game is because they don't have the confidence and they don't feel comfortable. Golf is a game of invitation. You get invited to play. And a lot of times women aren't invited because it's automatically assumed that you do not play. And the flip side of that is Whether you're invited or not, most women self-exclude because they will say, oh, no, I'm never going out there because they feel like they will be embarrassed if they get out on the course and don't know the rules, don't know the etiquette and do the wrong things. And that's what we do. We equip women with the tools for them to feel confident and comfortable on the course and not feel like they're out of place.
1: Right, right. No, I I love this. And one of the other things I I really like, you you mentioned this earlier, but just to go back a a little bit here, you talked about when you first started, as far as being able to take that leap and knowing it's going to take some time, sometimes it may take a month, it may take a couple of years, you never know, as far as those milestones to start generating enough revenue, that it becomes a sustainable business. And a lot of startups will over 80% of them never do, as we as we know, that you've embraced something that I just came across a, a couple of months ago, uh, introduced to an article through McKinsey and it was called The Three Horizons of Growth and believe me, in our earlier entrepreneurial endeavors, I wish I would have <laughs> known this a little more and it sounds like this was baked in with you where those, you talk about that first horizon is what are you doing right now to make money? That uh, is paying the bills and getting things done and that second horizon is what are you working on that could start generating revenue fairly soon and then that third horizon are things that are more high level or conceptual that uh, the pieces aren't in place yet, but that could be a a number of years. And it sounds like you think that way and that's added to your success. I, I think that would be fair to say. Would you believe in that type of approach?
0: Oh, I definitely agree with that. Because if you're too focused on just making the ends meet and being able to pay your expenses, then you can't do the right things that are necessary to provide value in your business. And then you get caught up in maybe cutting corners. And then you also get off focus because anything that is revenue generating, even if it's different from your actual focus, you have a tendency to navigate towards that just because it's an income source. Right. And you'll have them with five or 10 different hats and not able to focus on the main product or service that their business provides.
1: Yep, very true. Very, very true. I also find this interesting as far as when you started off with the insights of gathering data and, and having conversations, having that free meetup there where you really saw that you had something, there was some interest. When you first started, as far as your business, how did you go about, let's see even your pricing model or your service offering or even your accessible market? Now, you're based in uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, is that correct? I am. Is that where you're focusing your market on? Yes, Okay. So with that, were you first looking at the Birmingham market for African-American women? Or why don't you tell us a little bit about that, what you started? And uh, I know you've actually expanded and refined that and even pivoted a little bit. So maybe you can tell us the journey over the last seven years of the business model of Sister Golf.
0: Sure. Again, like I said, it wasn't something that I had another model that I can just copy or mirror because Uh this was so different. This was so niche. So even from a pricing standpoint, I had to experiment with a couple of different ways in order to come up with the right pricing for Sister Golf. And I went the traditional approach, which is looking at expenses. Well, how much is it going to cost me to put on a workshop? How much is my materials going to cost? How much is my time worth? And then add something on top of it. And then that was my price. But after going through a lot of different trainings, I went through the Emerging Leaders program here in Birmingham, which is a program specifically put on to help small businesses come up with a roadmap for success. And it goes over marketing, pricing, your financials. And one of the important things that I learned is you don't necessarily price based off your expenses and some. You Base your price on value. Yes. What value are you bringing to that individual or that company or that organization? And that's how you set your pricing. And if by attending your course or going through your workshop, that individual is going to, over the course of the remainder of their career, get hundreds of thousands of dollars. You don't price it at $50 because your expenses was $25 and you charge an extra 25 bucks. Right. You know, you price it based on value. So that was one of the important things that I had to learn. And it took a while. It wasn't something that I learned immediately out of the gate. But the hurdles that I had was because there was nothing to compare me to, because my business was so unique, people immediately go to, well, how much does a golf lesson cost? And they compared it to that. So again, it went back to educating people and showing them the value that you're getting and differentiating myself from just a golf lesson in order to get to a pricing that was comfortable and made sense for my product and service.
1: Got it. I find this interesting because we're we're going through a similar scenario right now, and it was something that's product driven that we're developing with our company. And that you're right that as far as that pricing model based on value, not necessarily price, it's more of a top down approach rather than a bottom up accounting procedure, and then multiplying by two x or three x to come up with your prices. And I'm sure you've seen this all the time too. It still amazes me, and I'm Certainly need to get better at this also, but I've heard stories and have friends. It's like, well, yeah, I was charging $50 for this and I wasn't getting anybody to sign up and then I just repositioned it a little bit and then I changed the pricing to like $600 and it was selling out, which is basically, isn't that counterintuitive, but it's amazing it that, but, but the people you're attracting then are the ones that see the value are not the ones that are race to the bottom that are grinding you on price in the first place. So they see the value and they get that. And those are, that's exactly. the tribe that you want to plug into, right?
0: Exactly. 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 And more and more, I am reaching that individual that gets it immediately, that says, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I need. I'll tell you a a funny story. I had a situation a while ago where I got a phone call and since that time, call it golf emergency. And people are like, what is a golf emergency? Well, I had a phone call. It was a young lady called me up. Apparently she's a senior executive at um, some local company. And she says to me, Hey, I've maybe played golf once in my life. I have just been asked by my boss to complete this foursome because the executive that was supposed to play in the foursome got ill. And today is Tuesday and the tournament is on Friday. Can you help me? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Can you help me? And so I was like, oh, wow, she's having a golf emergency. And what I try to tell people is don't wait until it gets that late. Because if you are an executive or if you are in any type of management or sales position, at some point, whether you expect it or not, you're going to get asked. And it's better to be prepared than not prepared. So there wasn't a whole lot that I could do for her. I knew that we could go over some things. And at least have her comfortable with the landscape and know what to expect. But in three days, there's not a whole lot that you can do if you've never played before or wow. only played once in order to go out and successfully make it through a whole eighteen.
1: Well, perhaps if you have more people asking for that type of thing, like I said, there's only so much you can do. Maybe that's a new product or service that you can introduce here. Maybe I've got something. Rather than calling 911, maybe you package it as Golf one. Maybe that's oh, what it there is. You that's go. The, emer- <laughs> the emergency service that you provide is Golf one.
0: Yes, yes.
1: There we go. If you want that, you can have it. There I don't you know go. if it's any good or not. I'll let you decide. If it's not any good, I'm not, I'm not offended. We'll, it's okay. we'll
0: do a crash course and we'll get you ready to go in 24 hours, but that will cost you a premium and you will have to be willing to commit to devoting a whole 12 hours before it actually uh, all absolutely. goes down. You
1: got <laughs> to put in the work, right? Otherwise, the Golf 1-1 service will not be held responsible for the results good. that come out the other <laughs> side of it. I like that. So you also mentioned the word experiment and experimentation. I love that because I have this conversation with entrepreneurs or people getting into entrepreneurship and they still get stuck in that old mindset that we all grew up in college, high school, even elementary school, that stigma of failing. Pass and fail, and a very binary thing, and people then being not willing to try because I don't want to fail. And it sounds like you already had that entrepreneurial lens that you were looking through and were willing to put a couple small bets on things and experiment and try things out. So I I certainly love the fact that you embrace that and are living that. That's great.
0: Absolutely. Failure is a part of it. Failure teaches you so much. No one wants to go into any venture planning on failing, but you have to not be afraid of it and know that. In the failure, you're going to learn something from it. And it's going to teach you what you actually need to do for you to succeed. So no, I didn't go into it looking to fail, but I knew that this was different. This is something that I didn't have a roadmap that I can follow. It wasn't a franchise that I bought and, or it wasn't paint by numbers. And I knew there would be some challenges. But at the same time, I also felt confident that it was something that was needed in the marketplace and a service that I could provide. So I felt really confident that I would be able to figure it out one way or the other.
1: Right, right. I'm assuming that you have mentors and advisors along the way, people that have helped you along to either stay on course or to realize where the opportunities are and maybe what not to focus on. Would you say over the last decade or so, you've certainly had some advisory and mentorship help to get to where you are?
0: I definitely have. And I can't stress enough, when they say when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I felt like I'm an eternal student. I'm always learning. I'm always seeking knowledge, whether it be in the form of books, whether it be in the form of podcasts, seminars, conferences, mentors. I'm always looking for a way to improve and to be better and have always felt that it's important to invest in oneself. So that's one thing I can't stress enough. I feel like so many of us want to do better, but we won't spend the money and we won't make the investment in ourselves to be better. Yes. I have attended countless conferences on marketing, on small business, on entrepreneurship, and I've spoken to countless small business owners who I look up to, who I felt have been successful, to ask them for their advice in terms of what I should pursue, what I should not pursue, what I'm wasting my time on, and just ways to avoid certain pitfalls so I can be successful. So I think mentorship and anywhere that you can learn and grow by feeding into yourself is really important. And people need to do a lot more of that.
1: That's, that's great advice. I'm very curious about to hear your business model and how that's evolved. I just looked on your website before we jumped on on the recording here and saw with Sister Golf that you do position that it's not just for women, but it's also for men. So I'm very curious, especially having the the name Sister in there in front of golf. How are you finding now the breakdown or percentage of your clients and the people that are coming through your business funnel as far as that between men and women?
0: I would say it's predominantly women. It's about 90-10, 90 percent women, still 10% men. But what I found very early on was as I was out promoting Sister Golf and telling people what the company stood for and what we were all about, I did run into several men that said, well, I need that too, because there are several men who have somehow matriculated up the corporate America ladder and didn't have an uncle or a brother or a father as a mentor to get them into the game of golf early on. But it's assumed that they play and they get invited or asked to participate or invited to outings with senior management or or the boss or the president and end up having to give an excuse and shy away from it just because they don't have the skill. And then they're embarrassed to tell their counterparts that they don't know. So secretly they say, "Shella, will you teach me? (laughs) Right, (laughs) um, right. As a result of that, that's where the whole and men came from, too. So we kind of have an affiliate brand called Mr. Golf to go along with Sister Golf oh, nice. so that the guys won't feel embarrassed by being associated with the Sister Golf brand. So that has been successful also. So the amount of men that I have is way less than women and women is still my primary focus. But for those men out there that do need our services, we were happy to help them.
1: Nice. And well, you just expanded your market there. And and men, especially men that are middle-aged or a little bit older, I do see that the stigma of that masculinity piece there, of that's getting finally getting knocked down a little bit. And they are more comfortable than getting involved in things that traditionally, even let's say even 10 years ago, would have been an absolute no, not a chance, because it has that connotation that this is for women that I don't want to get involved with that. So it's, it's great Hooray. to see not only through the hard work that you're doing and the messaging and the positioning of this to make everybody feel more welcoming and inviting that men are finally coming around and, uh, and seeing that it is about and that inclusion part also. In, you that they are included too so i think that's great
0: yes absolutely
1: so hey i wanted you to do this for me since i do lots of different things in the entrepreneurial space another one is i co-present a pitch night here in, in vancouver where we have new entrepreneurs come out and do a three minute pitch and then we provide them with not like shark tank we don't grind them down and make them cry we actually provide positive feedback so but always asking them to elaborate of what they do so and how they do it so Could you, for us here, tell us with Sister Golf, what would be that journey or my experience? Let's use me as a persona. Let's say I'm living in Birmingham. I've never played golf before. I now want to learn, and I've got opportunities, and I'm one of those guys. So can you tell me, how would you help me? What would you do?
0: The first thing we do is we do an assessment, which would be a questionnaire, to ask you what's your golf experience, what level of experience you have. If it's absolutely zero, you've never played before, then what is it that you hope to attain? Do you want to just learn how to play the sport to use it for business? Or are you actually interested in learning to play because you want to use it for leisure? Or are your goals that you at some point want to learn to play competitively? Then based on your answers, Then we figure out what is it that you are going to need and we'll tell you, okay, if you just want to learn how to play to keep up so you don't embarrass yourself and you can accept an invitation and you can go out and play in a corporate golf outing, first thing we want you to do is Sign up for the workshop that's going to teach you everything there is to know about the sport. And what that is, is the golf fundamentals from the fact that golf is typically played over 18 holes. Typically, it plays to a par of 72, although all courses don't play to a par of 72. Some of them are 71. But just go through all of the different nuances, the different types of golf courses We'll go through equipment. We'll go through attire. We'll go through all of that. And that can either be in a group session or that can be in a one-on-one type of workshop. Once we get you up to speed with all of the fundamentals, rules, etiquette, then we will take you through some actual hands-on. So that would be, again, either in the form of individual private, depending on the individual if, if that's what they want or they can do it in a group session where we'll actually teach you grip posture stance and and how to hit a golf ball and that is with one of our golf instructors and once you have gone through that process and you should be at the point where you feel comfortable enough to accept an invitation to participate in a scramble now we won't necessarily encourage you at that point to except playing one-on-one because your golf level probably isn't where it needs to be to take a client out one-on-one for a round of golf. But at that point, you can decide if you wanted to increase your skill level that you can either sign up for A package of private lessons or a package of group lessons. So that way you'll get more practice in and you can refine your swing technique to the point where you're at a level or ability that you feel comfortable being able to invite a client out one-on-one. So that is the progression and that is the process.
1: Got it. And you touched on a few things there. And with entrepreneurship, the way you propel yourself forward is through partnerships and alliances. So Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that you've got some great relationships with some PGA professionals and also some of the golf courses within the the region.
0: Yes. So I do have a partnership slash collaboration with Highland Park Golf Course, which is a centrally centrally located (laughs) golf course here in Birmingham. I have a great relationship with them. I also work with the golf pro there that is on staff. And I also have a young lady for my women who prefer to deal with a female instructor who is a graduate of Stanford University and played on their golf team. And she does a lot of the instruction for our ladies. And I do some of it, but most of what I do is on the professional development side.
1: right. Right. Well, I was going to ask you that if you had uh, a PGA professional that is a woman. And I'm glad to hear that because that makes complete sense. And on some of the other podcast episodes I've had where we're talking about growing the game from that diversity and inclusion piece. And one woman I've had on the podcast, and at the time her role was the senior director of diversity and inclusion for the PGA of America. She's now actually moved up and promoted into another role, but okay. still with the overarching mandate to grow, not, not only for women, but to grow the game and diversify it. And she's, you Use that analogy of if you want to be one you have to see one so rather than having some middle-aged guy or a bunch of them actually teaching younger women how to play it's you know that still is intimidating it's like well where are the people that look like me that sound like yes. me, that dress like me that have the same interests as me so I, that's critically important it sounds like you've figured out that piece uh, a while ago
0: yes i like that a lot and while i do have some women that don't mind whether it's a male or a female i do have some that are particular and have asked me specifically that they wanted a female instructor. So once I realized that that was really important, I made sure that we had that available.
1: Got it. Now, you've been at this for long enough. You've got enough data on this and have seen the trends and how things are, are moving and emerging. Have you found over the last couple of years that your clientele, are they getting a little bit younger, even coming right out of college? Or do you find because of the financial position of where they need to be, they're a little bit older? What, what are you finding there? Let's say let's say over the last five years or so, are, are things trending in one direction or the other and getting a bit younger? Or what, what are your thoughts on that?
0: I don't say that it's trending younger only because the need is great, whether you are an entry level or you're a mid-level. I see a lot of the mid-level women who really feel like this is something that they need. And this is something that they've been needing for a while. And the younger women, they just get it. So when they hear it, they're like, oh yeah, let me do this now and take advantage of it early on in their career. I actually encourage if there are young women and they have the opportunity to take up the sport in college for them to do it then because once they enter into the corporate world then they have a leg up but i'm finding it pretty even for entry-level women and women who've been at their careers for let's say average five to seven years already
1: got it so i'm also curious too you've had quite a bit of time to experiment with this and, and see what works on let's say the marketing side What's your customer acquisition strategy? How do you find potential people, or, or is it all inbound? Is it word of mouth? Do they come to you? Why don't you talk about that a little bit, where you found you've had the most success in getting the right people aligned with you, interested in involved with Sister Golf?
0: A lot of it is referral. A lot of it is word of mouth. But I also do social media marketing, but primarily through LinkedIn where the majority of professional women, that's where I find them on LinkedIn, particularly those who are in male-dominated industries or who are in any type of sales role or relationship manager capacity. So if you're an account executive, an account manager, a relationship manager. Those are typically the clients that come to me the most. But I also have clients who are like attorneys or who are in the construction industry or who are in the tech industry where they find that it's very heavily male dominated and a lot of conversation is centered around golf. Those are the clients that I normally get. And those are the ones that I target on LinkedIn. I also do some Facebook, but like I said, the majority comes from referral or word of mouth. And the other way that I acquire clients is through social media marketing.
1: Right. And well, that's where we found each other is, is through <coughs> LinkedIn, because you've been very active and, and the presence you have there, I will say it's very genuine and supportive. It, it's not salesy at all. And it and it works. That's what attracted me to reach out and, and get in touch with you because of the type of messaging and the support that you're providing through the platform. And I'll, I will say LinkedIn has really improved over the last couple of years. I think it's awesome now where a couple of years ago, people would make jokes about it, but it's really a place to have really authentic conversations and connections with people. And it just really, it, it, it works quite well.
0: Well, I thank you a lot for that, Colin. I'm glad to know that I'm not coming across as spammy or salesy. My goal really is to expand the game and bring more women to the game and actually help women at the same time. Because for so long... Golf has been a way that men have used to create connections, get deals, get promotions, and women have been left out and largely due to the fact that we self-exclude. So really, it's just about me trying to expose, educate, and get more women active and participating in it so they can reap the benefits that the men have been reaping.
1: Absolutely. And you couldn't position this at a better time. The fact you've already put in the work and been at it for a couple of years with Sister Golf. As you know, that market is expanding exponentially. Women now being more empowered, having even more discretionary income, having more professional opportunities and having other groups it's not just you you're just one of the bricks in this awesome wall now and there's groups like Latina golfers out of Los Angeles and women of color golf out of Tampa and some other groups women's golf day that they're going to be doing for the 4th year i think maybe it's the 5th year i think it's the 4th year in June and mm-hmm. these events are just all great indicators and supporters of encouraging women and giving them the confidence to get involved with the game at, at an early stage so i'm excited for you i think you're just getting started. You can take this, if you want to scale that up, you could. So I guess that's one of the last questions I want to leave you with here as an entrepreneur. Do you want to keep this more as a uh, a consultancy or a lifestyle business, or is this something you have bigger plans in the future to scale Sister Golf up and perhaps go whether more in the state or even regionally or even then nationally with this?
0: I have huge goals, Colin. I would love to see Sister Golf go national. In fact, that's what I am planting the seeds and planning on doing. I have interest already in a couple of different cities and states where I've been speaking to key people who are ready to take the charge and spearhead it in other areas as soon as we are ready to pull the trigger. So I am just ironing out all of the final details so that we have it running like on autopilot here in Birmingham, Alabama. And then we will be ready to launch, starting initially in the Southeastern region, and then expanding from there. So I'm excitedly looking forward to growing the brand and making it something national.
1: I love it. I love it. No, you got me excited now, and I, I love the fact what you are doing also for entrepreneurs out there. You focused on one market; they call that your beachhead. That you kind of figure it all out there, rather than spreading yourself way too thin and getting into ten different markets. And before you've got that business model figured out, so now you've got the yeah not only the model figured out and refined, but you are also starting to sounds like automate some of the pieces that you were just doing manually before, so that you can help scale up there. And now you are ready to launch this. It's it's it's, it's exciting. It's good.
0: It is very exciting.
1: Nice. Okay. Well, hey, before I let you go here, Shella, why don't you let our listeners know where they can learn more about Sister Golf and how they can get a hold of you?
0: Absolutely. So the best place is the website, which is www.sistergolf.com. I am also on all of the social media channels. So you can find me at Sister Golf on Facebook, at Sister Golf on Instagram, at Sister Golf on Twitter, and on LinkedIn under Shellacilla.
1: There we go. And I'm going to make that nice and easy for all of our listeners as I always do. So in the show notes and also in your bio that we'll have on the website also, I will have all those links that you just mentioned so everybody doesn't have to furiously write those down and try to remember them. So all those links will be there with also with some other content that uh, Shella has put out there and uh, you'll learn more about Sister Golf from there. So this has been amazing. I, I love your story. I love the entrepreneurial nuggets of wisdom that you've provided for all of our listeners here. And hopefully you'll be willing to jump back on another year or 18 months so I can get a catch up and find out where Sister Golf is and where you've gone in the meantime.
0: Most definitely. I'd love to, Colin.
1: That sounds great. Well, Shella, thanks so much for your time today. And I look forward to talking again soon. All right, you take care. Thanks. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Shella Silla, founder of Sister Golf. If you'd like to learn more about Shella, go to our episode show page where we've included additional links and content. I'd like to extend my gratitude and thanks to our sponsor partners, British Columbia Golf and Golf Genius Software, for help making the Mod Golf podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from the golf industry's brightest innovators and influencers. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, You can find more of our innovation stories on previous episodes at mod.golf, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go for your podcast fix. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.